Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the debut episode of the Stretch Big Podcast with Jacob Bigelow. I am your host, as the title tells you, Jacob Bigelow, and I figured with uh, launching a new show, a solo show, just me, myself, this microphone in front of me, figured the best way to do so would be doing a little introduction of, of myself, my background, with basketball, a um, little about a bit about my journey to where I've gotten to this point, where I, you know, have enough, you know, faith to uh, launch a solo show talking about basketball. And then, as you, many of you who probably are listening to this right now, know my my uh, my side job. It's not my full time job, but it's something that I'm I'm doing a lot this time of year is covering the men's basketball program at Nebraska. So I can, you know, that's going to be the main focus of this show. Uh, we're definitely going to maybe dive into some more college basketball at large, talk Big Ten, talk you know big picture rest of the season at some point. But uh, the main focus is going to be on Nebraska, as that is the team I cover this time of year. Um, but I figured the best way to launch a brand new show, maybe you have maybe you saw this link on social media, maybe you heard about the show on any of the uh, local radio appearances that I, I make sometimes, whether it's in Omaha on uh on 1620 The Zone or in Lincoln on KLIN. Um, maybe you heard about this from a friend. Maybe you saw it on a message board, whatever. You may wonder, who the hell is this guy? Why is he? <laughs> why does he have a show where he's talking Husker basketball? But I, I figured the best way for me to launch would be a little intro, a little get to know me, and then I can give you, you know, a general overview of uh, the first four games that Nebraska has played so far to this point, some things I've seen that I've liked, some things that I you know, have questions about or kind of eyebrow raisers. It's obviously tough to make general you know, sweeping takeaways um, through four games. Um, you know, We're still in November as I sit here recording this. It's November 17th, just after 9 p.m. Just to give you a little time stamp, um, Nebraska, they are in Sioux Falls right now. They play... Uh, Oregon State tomorrow at 3 p.m. at the Sanford Pentagon, a little neutral site. Uh, one of only two trips in the non-con that Nebraska makes away from Pinnacle Bank Arena. Uh, but that game's at 3 p.m. tomorrow. I will be in the building um, at the Pentagon. But that's, by the time this this is out, the game will either be just in a couple hours or it may have already already happened, uh, depending on how quick we can get this turned around. But uh, I'm Jacob Bigelow. I am a contributing writer for Huskers Illustrated Magazine. You can find my work by subscribing to the magazine. I have a monthly column, the Bigelow on Basketball column in the magazine, which kind of gives you general thoughts on the most recent month of happenings in the world of Nebraska basketball. I think this year we're going to have more some game stories up on the website at huskersillustrated.com. Feel you should still go check out the website, and you should you know pick up a magazine. Some great great stuff going on there. Not just myself, Lincoln Arneal and his volleyball coverage. Go listen to the Volleyball State Pod. Him and Jeff Sheldon. Um, Lincoln is the best of the best when it comes to Husker volleyball. And uh, I think there's going to be it's gonna, a month from today, as I sit here recording this, is the uh, national championship game in Tampa for volleyball. So it's going to be a fun home stretch for Husker volleyball. Uh, Steve Bidek writing about football. Head over to huskersillustrated.com. Check out the magazine. Uh, you can find the magazine on stands, or you can subscribe. Any of it, it's a way to 
support uh, locally owned, locally owned and operated uh, magazine here in the state of Nebraska and some really talented local journalists. And then there's me in there every month uh, talking hoops. But on the podcast front, so you may have heard my previous show, the Nebraska Shootaround podcast with Jacob Padilla. Um, him and I are still on good terms. Don't get it wrong. We are still friends. Um, we've known each other for eight years. Just some things have changed. And uh, with uh, how th- you know how the coverage is working out, Jacob's more in the uh, Creighton sphere this year. So I, I've uh, made the choice to launch my own solo pod. And um, you, it's gonna, it's kind of a big leap of faith for me. Um, but I think to you know to do this on my own, I can you know, showcase you know, my thoughts for the program, how much I enjoy basketball and give a unique perspective. So a little bit of background about me. I am, I'm a young buck. I'm a definitely a young buck in the uh, Nebraska media pool. I am, I am 26 years old. I am a university of Nebraska graduate. Um, I wasn't really much of a basketball guy until I got to high school, went to high school at Omaha central uh, my freshman year at Central was the final, uh, the final year, kind of, of that uh, Eric Barron's Akoya Gal, you know, dynasty run there. Uh, 2012 Akoya's senior year, the four Pete. Um, that was also the last state championship that Omaha Central's won in any sport. But we don't need to talk about that. I, at least I got to see that one. Um, but watching that team up close when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old at the time. Um, there was just something that drew me to uh, the game of basketball. And a couple years later, in my junior and senior year, I spent time with the program at Central as a, as a student manager. And uh, that was enough to, you know, it's a hilarious story of how I wound up becoming a student manager at uh, the University of Nebraska for three seasons with Coach Miles. Um, so that's five years of, you know, daily, you know, basketball program involvement. Um, and then, you know, in college, I also spent some time on the side doing some high school coverage, Lincoln and Omaha, you know, going to high school games, some summer basketball. Um, and this is going to be, you know, at season's end, it'll be my second full season, uh, covering the program. So, um, we'll be at two and a half years. You know, I started with, uh, the magazine January, two seasons ago with the, uh, Bryce McGowan's Alonzo Alonzo Verge season, so that was quite the way to get my feet wet in uh, in the the media, the content game, uh, getting into it that year. But um, here we are; it's going to be two and a half years of coverage at the end of this season. Um, I have been affectionately labeled as a basketball sicko by uh, by friends who have known me for ten years, by friends who have known me for five, people who barely know me at all. They kind of know me just as the basketball guy. Um, but I've definitely like to think I've got kind of a unique perspective, um, even though, you know, the head coach has changed and, you know, a lot has changed around the basketball program since my time there. Um, I think, you know, I was, I was in it daily, you know, for, for a couple years with coach miles, got to know the league, got to know the towns, the facilities, the coaches, you know, getting to track, you know, there's been quite a bit of coaching turnover, but there's still, still some coaches who have been a part of the league for a while. Um, and you know, the, the relationships that I built, you know, as a, as a manager for a couple years that that's turned into, you know, a nice little network of resources to have across the country, you know, to talk about, you know, get the pulse on some, on conferences, some teams, 
uh, some players, you know, from around the country, just because I just out of morbid curiosity, you know, guys that I can still talk to guys that I consider friends, guys that may be on this podcast at, at some point. But um, I think my perspective is definitely different, different from most people when it comes to Husker basketball. So I can share that with anyone who's interested in listening. And uh, that's going to be the main point of this show. So that's a little bit about me. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about, so as I sit here recording this, for the first time since 2018-19, Nebraska basketball is 4-0. and They had never started a season 3-0 and under Fred Hoiberg, let alone 4-0. and And here we are um, with uh, the game tomorrow against Oregon State, a chance to be 5-0 and for the first time since 2008. That is quite a while ago. Um, that's a couple head coaches ago, too. But uh, with or- the Oregon State game tomorrow, uh, Nebraska's first trip away from Lincoln, one of the two away from Lincoln that they make in the non-con, the other being to Kansas State on December 17th. Um, that's a month from now, same day as the volleyball national championship game. But um, the first four games, you know, not exactly a murderer's row of opponents. We had, you know, Lindenwood, Florida a and Ryder and Stony Brook, all sub 225th in Ken Palm. Uh, the lowest being Lindenwood at 351. There are 300 and 361 teams in Division One basketball, I think. Don't quote me on that. That's my guess. But that's, uh, that's Lindenwood being the lowest, and then Ryder being the highest at 230. Um, some things that I've liked. Here are just five general takeaways of what I've liked so far watching this Nebraska team play. Number one, 1A and 1B has been the play of Rinkmast. Um, Rinkmast, the 6'10", Bradley transfer. He was an all-conference guy at Bradley, led them in scoring. And you know the question was obviously, how is he? We haven't seen him play in the Big Ten yet, there's obviously going to be some big bodies, you know, some some big guys looming, the uh, Kalkbrenners, the Dawson Garcias, Edies, Mati Sissokos, uh, the Indiana guys. There's plenty of other big guys um, looming on the schedule so far. But since he got to Lincoln, all I had heard was rave reviews about rink mass. He was even limited practicing with Nebraska in the spring before he uh, went back home to go play for the Dutch national team in some FIBA play. And he, he practiced with them less than 10 times. But the reviews that I heard were rave and then some about Mast's his energy, his leadership, the physicality he plays with. And I think most importantly in a Fred Hoiberg offense is having a floor spacing big man. Um, I've kind of had a running, you know, running joke you may you if you've listened if you listen to my previous show you definitely heard this i've i've said that since fred you know came back to the college game and since he you know <laughs> had to learn how to construct a roster again in college he's kind of been chasing the ghost of george niang um so if you didn't watch george niang at iowa state and you only know george niang is what he is in the nba well George Niang was not a skinny two-guard or a 2-3 who came in to shoot threes at Iowa State. He was a slow, unathletic, unassuming, kind of pudgy big guy who, you know, definitely, you know, he became an All-American, All-Big 12 guy by his senior year if he, you know, doesn't get injured. 
you know, Iowa State probably makes a deeper run in the in the tournament. I was so I was so enamored with those Fred Hoiberg Iowa State teams that I almost went to school there. I was genuinely like these teams are so much fun. Iowa State basketball, I was I was enamored. I was I was smitten for some Hilton Magic, some Cyclone basketball under Fred Hoiberg. I was at his final Big 12 championship game in Kansas City. Uh, because my my family, we took a short spring break trip down there, and I had to beg, and I mean beg, my father uh, to give me some cash so I could go to that game by myself. And I bought a scalped ticket for an exorbitant amount of money to sit in the upper deck at the Sprint Center, now the T-Mobile Center in Kansas City by myself, and watch Iowa State come back from 20-plus down. But that's beside the point. The George Niang comp is to have a floor-spacing big man. Because while George Niang was not your prototypical five, he he was still he was still the five you know, in the lineup, but he could bring the ball up. He could step out and shoot a three. He could initiate offense. He could draw the other team's big man away from the basket, which created you know, opening, openings for other, the other four guys on the floor to cut to the rim, to, you know, screen away and you know it just opens the court up so much more to have a floor spacing big when you especially want to run this pace and space five out you know up tempo offense that you know Fred Hoiberg what we thought we'd see right away when Fred got hired and to bring in a guy like Mast who even you know recovering from a broken nose and a concussion and the you know the injuries that he sustained when he was a you know, a victim of a random act of violence in downtown Lincoln earlier this fall, you know, for him to be back for the opener and to have a t- almost a 2020 game, he was only a couple rebounds in the Stony Brook game away from becoming the first Husker to have three straight double doubles since Isaiah Roby in the 2018-19 season. Um, he has been really impressive, and I think you know his health and his skill set or lockstep in determining, you know, what the ceiling is for Nebraska. Cause I think most nights he's going to have to be the best guy, the the best or the second best player on the floor um, for the, um, f- for Nebraska to reach, you know, where they want to be. You know, he was a 19 point a game guy at Bradley um, talking to some, some people in and around the Missouri Valley. They said he didn't get enough credit for his defense how physical he could be. And, you know, as a 6'10 guy who's kind of a stretch big, no pun intended, you know, he's just averaging a double-double already with a couple assists on just under 50% from the field. But then again, we're just four games in, so we can't make any, you know, big takeaways. But point number one, rink mass, he's been as good as advertised. He's lived up to the billing um, from everything I was told prior to the season, and he's looked really good so far. My second thing that I've really been impressed by is the is Sam Hoiberg, the coach's son himself. He's been nicknamed the governor by some folks on social media because his father is most notably the mayor of Ames. But Sam Hoiberg's stats may not jump off the page through these first couple games, but whenever that kid is on the court, man, he just does the right things. He makes plays. He does the smart. Th- he does the smart things. He's never gonna make. He's never gonna cost you. He's gonna. You know. He has been. He's he's a smart, savvy. You know. 
plays like a coach's kid because he is the coach's kid. But, you know, he's going to have an actual legitimate role with this team. He's going to be a part of the rotation, and that's because of the way he plays. It's because of the way he plays, the impact that he can make. Um, we've seen it in a couple, you know, he was their leading scorer in a game already this year, came in off the bench as a little spark plug, hit a couple threes, finished with 15 points. But yeah, I mean, Sam, Sam is also, you know, I got to, got to know Sam a little bit during his time at, at Pius. He's also just a, just a great dude, great dude to talk to. He knows the game. He's a, he's a great kid. And, uh, it's been awesome to get to see him have an actual role, you know, the, the, Minutes he got thrust upon into last year were you know due to the injuries with you know Emmanuel Bantamel. Um, we heard Fred Hoiberg tell the story about you know having to go to Sam on the plane and saying on the way back from Penn State and saying you're our eighth guy now. Um, but he was you know kind of thrust into uh, into the rotation and you know he made the most of it. Made some big plays at the end of the season last year, the Maryland game, the Wisconsin game at the end of last year, and he's you know off to a great start again this year. Sam Hoiberg, he just makes plays. That's number two. Number three, I have, I was skeptical at best about how Jamarcus Lawrence would uh, handle the transition from, you know, an off guard to the lead guard. Um, I'm not going to, you know, people call him the point guard, but I don't think, I think with the way this roster is constructed, the way Fred Hoiberg wants to run offense, I would, I'm going to call the one, you know, one through five, I'm going to call the one the lead guard. I'm not going to call him a point guard because he's still, still, you know, <laughs> in the process of, you know, a position change. But he is, he also, similar to Sam Hoiberg, he's been making just the winning smart plays. His statistics also have not jumped off the page at all. But, you know, plus minus, plus minus is for you, for anyone who doesn't know basketball statistics, plus minus is a stat that tracks your team's point differential while you are on the court. Let me just tell you, Jamarcus Lawrence is plus minus in the last two games. Against Stony Brook, Jamarcus Lawrence was plus 34. Against Ryder, Jamarcus Lawrence was plus 18. You know, that led the team in both games and plus minus. You know, he played for 27 minutes in the Stony Brook game, had five boards, four assists, and uh, eight points. You know, like I said, nothing nothing that's really going to jump off the page. You know, his season averages, you know, he's only averaging, he's averaging single-digit points a game. We haven't seen him take many threes, like, you know, that we saw him come in and, you know, take toward the end of last year. But, you know, something that'll stick with me and probably s- still sticking with, you know, people who heard the the comment when it was made was after the Michigan State game last year when Michigan State came in, had a wildly impressive uh, shooting second half to beat Nebraska at PBA last year and kind of, you know, halted the momentum that last year's team had. Tom Izzo, almost unprompted, just talked about how good he thinks Jamarcus Lawrence can be. Now, obviously, he probably didn't think Jamarcus Lawrence as a point guard, but, you know, Tom Izzo, he's seen a thing or two. He knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. He's the dean of Big Ten coaches, and if he, you know, is watching, you know, a true freshman, you know, play against his team and he can, you know, make the assumption, make the make the claim, yeah, that Lawrence kid's going to be pretty good. Um, I, I, I trust Tom Izzo. Um, I think he, think he may have the right eye. And, you know, Jamarcus, he, you know, we, we heard good things from all his teammates in the offseason season. We heard good things from Fred Hoiberg, and I think you know he's never—he's not going to be like a twenty-point a game guy. 
You know, he's not going to be a guy who's looking to, you know, get get his shots up, you know, let it rain. But I think he, he's just – he's a very smart, very savvy player who knows what the right read is, knows what the right play is. And I think there are going to be some some games where Jamarcus Lawrence makes the play that wins Nebraska some games in the Big Ten. Um, and that's just – you know, I he is he's looked much better than I anticipated. You know, so far through these early games. Um, number four, the C.J. Wilcher Renaissance of sorts. Um, if you have heard me on podcasts, on the radio, any anywhere over the last two years, C.J. Wilcher has certainly been. A topic of conversation. We have seen his minutes kind of look like an EKG, like a roller coaster going up and down throughout his time at Nebraska. This is his third season in the program, you know, since transferring from Xavier, and um, we have seen him flash really hot, really high. We have seen him look really good. We've also seen low lows, and the most recent game against Stony Brook was not. <laughs> Not all that impressive, just two points, one of three shooting in just 14 minutes, a little limited. But um, the game before that against Ryder, C.J. Wilcher was kind of keeping Nebraska's head above water. He, uh, he um, you know, we, he, uh, we've seen him adjust to kind of being the spark plug guy. You know, he came off the bench in that Ryder game. You know, he was asked in the postgame, you know, first couple games of the year, he started with uh, Kese Tomonaga out. We you know we asked him after you know that game what changes for you you know coming off the bench and he just nonchalant shrugged goes nothing nothing changes my job is just to come in make shots and be solid on defense and for a guy like him who's been through the ups and downs with this program in you know the ups and downs of college basketball in general he's now the most you know the most tenured guy in the program he's been with Fred Hoiberg the longest. We've heard him referred to as one of the, you know, the culture guys, like like a Derek Walker or Sam Greasel, Manuel Bandamel was last year. And uh, we've heard CJ, you know, he's been one of the culture guys. And for him to know his role and embrace his role, if he, re, you know, he truly believes that his job's to make shots and be solid, then that's that's seems to be a complete 180 from what some of his body language told me the last two years. Um, you know, to for him to be a guy that represented the program at Media Days in Indianapolis, you know, I think that's I think that's really telling. And, you know, I think CJ Wilcher, we may have be seeing, you know, he like I said, he only had two points in fourteen minutes against uh, Stony Brook, but I think we may be possibly preparing for a CJ Wilcher renaissance. Um, he he appears to have, you know, gotten his body right this offseason, gotten his mind right from what I've been told, and he's embracing his role. And on a team like Nebraska that we've seen through these first couple games has a lot of guys who are capable of playing. They can, they could go really deep, but when it gets down to the nitty-gritty and you're making trips to Mackey Arena or West or Assembly Hall in the heart of winter, you can't play 12 guys. you got to have a rotation. you got to have it locked down. And I think that's the biggest thing right now for Fred Hoiberg and his coaching staff. And this non-con is rather favorable, so it gives you a lot of chances to play with lineups, to play with rotations, see what works, and learn what doesn't work. And I think C.J. Wilcher embracing his role moves him kind of toward the front of the line when it comes to 
cutting down minutes and making a rotation. I think there's always going to be a role for a guy who knows his role, and C.J. Wiltshire appears to be that guy. Lastly, in terms of things I like, I spent most of this offseason, starting in the spring, kind of trying to captain the Bryce Williams hype train. Uh, Bryce Williams transferred from Charlotte. Now, Charlotte was in Conference USA last year. They are now in the American. But one of my best friends in uh, in the coaching ranks coached, uh, you know, scouted, prepared for Bryce Williams last season. And when he was visiting Nebraska, I just asked him, like, what do I need to know? And all he responded was one word, bucket. And if you if you're a basketball guy and you hear someone referred to as a bucket, you can have mixed thoughts. You can think like, oh, they're, you know, not a team guy, not a, you know, could he be a, you know, whatever. But, you know, watching Bryce Williams on tape, you know, some of his Charlotte stuff, he really caught fire at the end of last year at Charlotte, made him an all-conference USA guy. He was really, really good down the home stretch for Charlotte. They wound up winning, I think they won the CBI. They were a solid team coming out of Conference USA. And Williams, you know, he's a 6'7", longer, you know, wing. We've seen him bring the ball up the floor. We've seen him play small ball five. Um, He's shooting 40% from the field four games in. He does love a mid-range pull-up two. Still haven't gotten Fred Hoiberg's thoughts on that, which we know he's not a fan of those twos. But Bryce Williams, he can... He can hit those. He's gotten to the rim, drawn contact, foul, you know, getting to the free throw line. Um, He's still trying to find his rhythm a little bit from outside, but that appears to be the entire team from top to bottom. We're going to get to that in my next group of questions, but I am still, you know, championing, you know, the Bryce Williams, you know, hype train. I think there'll be some nights where he'll be Nebraska's leading scorer. I think there are going to be some nights where he's going to have to be. Um, you know, I think just his, his game, his build, he, you know, he's got some, he's got some things on tape, you know, and I, you know, I'm not saying he's going to play like this guy. He's not gonna, you know, but he reminds me of a guy I was around for three years and that guy's James Palmer Jr. Uh, the way he can take over a game when he is on his a game, the inside out, get into the rim, drawn contact, um, the way they're built. Um, Bryce Williams has a little smoother looking jump shot than James doesn't have a little bit of a windup, but you know, I was around JPJ from his red shirt year, you know, to the last game he played at PBA. And I think, you know, Bryce Williams has some shades of J- of JPJ in his game. And that's something to really like. I I'm, I'm going to hold on to my Bryce Williams stock for most of the season. So those are five things that I really like through the first four games. Uh, here are five things, you know, that I kind of have questions about. Um, and obviously we're going to probably get the answers to these some sooner, some later, but these are five questions I have so far. Number one question is who is the creator on this team? I said, I was impressed with Jamarcus Lawrence as the lead guard, but I don't think Jamarcus Lawrence is like a one-on-one creator yet. I think he can initiate the offense. I think he can make a play, make a good read, make a good pass, but I wouldn't call him like a one-on-one creator yet. Um, you know, that's, there were some times in the, both the Ryder and Stony Brook games where there was just a lot of dribbling, a lot of sl- pounding the ball into the ground, a lot of ISO, a lot of guys standing around and watching. And when they weren't standing around and watching, it's just some straight line drives. And I'm like, this is not what this is supposed to look like. 
But it's early in the year, again. And these are just some observations that I've had. I think Nebraska, you know, the thing thing that makes it tougher to have a one-on-one creator is I don't think Nebraska is the most uh, athletic team by any means. I think they've got, you know, they're kind of not the most fleet of foot, laterally quick guys. Um, I think a lineup with guys like Wilcher, Tomonaga, Juwan Coleman on the court at the same time, those guys may be more... Uh, laterally challenged on the defensive end or maybe maybe on the maybe on both ends but I think there just aren't Nebraska doesn't have like a lightning quick athlete they don't have like a freak guy who's gonna sprint right past you dunk on your head or a guy who can jump out the gym yet it's you know in the rotation so I think you know we'll see you know a lot can be made of who starts a game but a lot can also be made of who finishes one, who finishes games, who's on the who's on the court during winning time, and I think you know that'll tell that'll be you know if Nebraska's in a tight game late, you know who's on that court, who's creating the game, who not who's creating the game, who's creating you know the the play to win the game, who's creating you know a look for another guy to win the game. Where does that come from? Where is that initiated? Second thing I have a question about, and I mentioned him in that last little tangent. What is Boogie Coleman's role? Uh, Jerron Boogie Coleman, he was brought in in uh, July, super, super late. Um, he finished up his graduate classes at Ball State, uh, playing for a former co-worker of mine, head coach Michael Lewis, at Ball State. And um, he put his name in the portal after he finished his graduate classes, got his, got his diploma from, uh, got his degree from uh, Ball State, put his name in the portal. Kind of something that, you know, college coaches were, were uh, waiting, you know, fearfully anticipating was guys leaving that late in the summer. And because of the situation with Aaron Eulis being implicated in the Iowa uh, sports betting investigation, Nebraska needed to go get another guard. And they went out and got Coleman from Ball State. Um, he was an all-mat guy at Ball State. He actually started his career at Ball State then playing for a different coach, not Coach Lou then transferred to Missouri for one season under Quanzo Martin, and then went back to Ball State. Um, that's a, definitely a unique path. But so far, that's, you know, he hasn't really, you know, definitely his statistics have not jumped off the page at you. He's made some really impressive passes. And that's what we heard the most, well, not well, that's what I heard the most good about from about Coleman was his vision, his passing. Uh, he knows where guys are going to be, where they're supposed to be on the court. Um, and he, you know, had some re- has made some really good passes these first couple games. But you know, as a six-five kind of big, awkward kind of looking guard, um, I don't. I think he's definitely not a point guard. But I don't really know what his role is. I think bringing him in. That late in the process, and with you know just one year to play, obviously he's going to play. Um, you know, he we're only four games into the year. Once again, you got to take all of this with a grain of salt. But I just don't know what Boogie Coleman's role is, where he falls in the pecking order. Um, you know, for you know, there's kind of a lot of mouths to feed on this team. Some guys who are really capable, score. You know, guys who can go get you get you a bucket, go get you. You know, go stuff a stat sheet in a hurry there's been you know plenty of guys, a handful of guys in double figures in all these games so far that's been you know I think this is by far the most the most depth Fred Hoiberg has had 
where does Boogie Coleman fall in that list? Does getting to Lincoln so late in the process, is he still getting used to playing with these guys? Does he still need, you know, is this still a huge adjustment period? I mean, he's only been here for four months. So what's, uh, what is his role in the long game? Thirdly, and I'm not looking to worry anyone. I'm not looking to say, hit the panic button. Get worried. I can say this confidently. I think Duquesne is the toughest game that uh, Nebraska will play before Creighton. Now, they've obviously already played four, and Duquesne is the game after the game tomorrow. Uh, but Duquesne, their roster, man, they got some dudes they got some length. Seems like almost every guy on their team is six seven, but their two guards, Jimmy Clark and Dayday Grant, they're pretty good, man. And I know they're gonna. They came off a lot. They're coming off a loss to Princeton. Princeton also beat Rutgers on opening night. So Mitch Henderson's crew coming off a trip to the Sweet Sixteen, picking up right where they left off for those guys at Princeton. They can hoop. Not a bad time for basketball in the state of New Jersey, but Duquesne, they will face Ryder, their second game in the Cornhusker Classic. They beat Stony Brook 85-63, almost a similar score that Nebraska beats the Seawolves by. But Duquesne has a lot of green on their Ken Palm page. They are a tough team. They're a top 100 team on Ken Palm. Uh, They're probably a fringe NCAA tournament team as well, the Dukes. Um, out in the A-10, right? Yeah, they're an A-10 team. The A-10, pretty solid hoops league from top to bottom. Some good teams out there. But I think that they are going to by far, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, Oregon State, that's the first real test. I I would say Duquesne is the tougher test. That uh, Definitely a tougher test than Oregon State. Yeah, Oregon State is a power conference team. Yeah, it's a game away from home. But I think Duquesne just the way they're built, the way they play, uh, the way we've seen Nebraska look when it's not looked good these first couple games. I mean, Nebraska, they haven't exactly put two good halves together. Um, I think in, you know, if they if that have if they struggle, they play like they did early against Ryder or early against Stony Brook, they could get punked against Duquesne. So I'm I'm warning you, if you've made it to this point in the podcast, and you look and you're either in the building at Pinnacle Bank Arena next Wednesday, the night before Thanksgiving, or you're watching the game on TV and you see Nebraska down to Duquesne, don't say I didn't warn you. I'm not going to call an upset by any means, but I think by far, you know, in the seven games leading up to the clash with Creighton on December the 3rd, I think Duquesne will by far will pose the toughest test to Nebraska. Should we be worried? Possibly, maybe. Fourth thing that I question is the amount of threes taken. Uh, Nebraska has taken more than 24 three-point attempts in all four games so far. I think they had less than five of those all of last season. Um, They are taking the 12th most three-point attempts out of total field goal attempts in the country. There are only 11 teams (laughs) that are shooting more threes a game than Nebraska is. Um, they are 12th in that category, according to Ken Palm. And, you know, maybe there will be a night where, you know, we kind of saw it in that Lindenwood game. I think there were seven or eight different guys who hit a three. And we kind of, you know, thought, oh, this is what it's supposed to look under Fred Hoiberg. This is what it's supposed to look like. The pace and space, 
every guy can shoot, every guy can make it, and we kind of just we haven't seen haven't seen two halves of good three point shooting come together since that season opener against Lindenwood, and just over half of Nebraska's field goal attempts, you know, in their games so far, have been threes, and um, you know. Uh, I I worked with Coach Miles. He took a lot from George Carl and George Carl, former longtime Denver Nuggets head coach, and really hammered home the emphasis on the love the rim, like the three. And I think you know that's where you know we've heard a lot about you know, how the mid range two is the worst shot in basketball, how much Fred Hoiberg hates it. Um, you know, I th- I think this uh, these guys, the guys in this roster, they can get to the rim. It's going to be pretty matchup dependent, obviously. But I think you know half of you know your attempted field goals coming from three, when the shots aren't falling, you know that's going to have to maybe be an adjustment, depending on how games are going, depending on opponents. I mean, there may be some teams who kind of you know when they're scheming for Nebraska, might see them kind of give the uh, approach that Nebraska did in the Creighton game last year, which is allow you know we'll let you shoot these threes until you start making them. That may be a, a scout or a, a game plan you know, for teams facing Nebraska because they know Nebraska is going to want to let that thing fly. And lastly, I kind of mentioned it in this uh, in the, the last point, is putting two halves together. Um, this team's still trying to find their rhythm. They haven't really – this most recent game was the closest they've been to full strength with the return of Jawan Gary. They're still waiting on you know Ramel Lloyd and Blaze Cata. I don't really see a role waiting for Ramel Lloyd Jr. To be honest, I don't think you know there's minutes waiting for him. And Blaze Cata, I don't know if he plays this year. His injury, um, you know, the the worst thing to hear injury wise for a big guy is low lower lower body, feet, ankle. It seems like it may be a chronic thing for Blaze Cata, which is which is unfortunate. But the, he's got the full support of this coaching staff. They want to do what they can to get him back to full strength or as close to full strength as possible. But yeah, this team is kind of yet to put two halves together. And as I've said, what feels like 25 times in this pod, four games into the season, got to take it with a grain of salt. Um, they haven't really put two good halves together on offense. That's the bigger thing. Defensively, you know, they've got a re- they've got some really good metrics defensively. Um, but given their, their opponents, you know, we'll see. You know, Fred Hoiberg has said that defense has to be this team's constant. It was definitely a big part of last year's team's mantra, how they approached games, um, the toughness, the grittiness, you know, diving on the floor for loose balls, all that sort of thing. But on offense, you know, we have seen got you know, rink mast flash really well. Bryce Williams has had a couple really good games. Kese Tomanaga still shaking the rust off. Um, you know, was you know Started his debut against Ryder 0 for 9 from the field. But I think, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's going to be a, there's going to be a game. I don't know who it's going to be against. But there's going to be a game where they just make all the threes. And that's going to be, you know, Nebraska basketball nirvana when they have a game and they're just making almost everything and letting it fly. And, you know, David McGee is breaking out that uh, that map of Nebraska based on the the logo at midcourt at Pinnacle Bank Arena, you know, on Twitter. But you know, if you know, we'll see. We I don't think we've seen you know the the best of this team yet. We saw we haven't seen it. You know, obviously four games into the season. Like I said, there are still twenty seven basketball games left in the regular season for this team. But, you know, four games in, they're yet to put two halves together really on offense. There have been times it's looked stagnant, disjointed, 
Um, so we'll, you know, we'll see. I'll see firsthand tomorrow against Oregon State and Sioux Falls if they can do just that. We'll wrap up with a little preview. Uh, Oregon State, they're, yes, they are the first um, Nebraska, you know, game against a power conference opponent, first game away from Pinnacle Bank Arena. But they're coming off back-to-back overtime games against Sunbelt teams at home. Uh, they dominated a school called Linfield. I don't know what Linfield is, but they're coming off back-to-back overtime games against Troy, which went to double overtime, and Appalachian State, which went to one overtime. They won both those games. Um, but those teams, they're Sunbelt teams, and they're not teams at the top of the Sunbelt. Um, Oregon State, they made the Elite Eight in the 2021 NCAA tournament, the COVID tournament, where everything was in uh, Indiana. And then they fell off a cliff last season. They have they won 11 games last season. They went 11 and 21. They were they finished last season 214th in Ken Palm. They're 168 in Ken Palm right now. To be a power conference team and be rated that low, it's that's it takes a lot. It takes a lot to be a power conference team rated that low. Some notable some notable things on their Ken Palm page. They're 331st in the country in adjusted tempo. <laughs> it's going to be a tale of two playing styles tomorrow in Sioux Falls. Nebraska is going to want to get out and run, get out and push it a little bit. Oregon State going to be walking the ball up. They're going to be uh, – <laughs> it's going to be a very methodical, very uh, – not very exciting basketball. Uh, they are also – in the bottom, they're sub-300 in non-steal turnovers, which um, and that's on offense too, which means they are, they're giving it away at a pretty high rate. They're averaging close to 12 of those a game. They're giving it away on non-steal turnovers, which means you know off-ball fouls, you know all, all sorts of you know things that would infuriate any basketball coach. Um, I don't think there's any reason or particularly any excuse for Nebraska to lose this game. If they want to, you know, we've heard the talk of where they want this team to go. You can't lose to Oregon State. You just can't. Simply cannot. Um, And I think that, you know, Nebraska should win pretty comfortably. It'll be interesting to see how many Nebraska fans are in the stands at the Pentagon. I know it's a football Saturday. Game is in the middle of the afternoon on, uh, on Peacock. So we'll see. I know there are plenty of Husker alumni in South Dakota, in the area. Maybe some people with uh, much more money than me will try to do the double and go to basketball in Sioux Falls and then hop on a jet over to Madison to go to football. But uh, Oregon State tomorrow at 3 o'clock. I talked a little bit about the Duquesne game for Nebraska. That is on Wednesday, the 22nd, the night before Thanksgiving. Game after that is Cal State Fortin on Sunday, the 26th, and then a week off to lead in to the in-state game with Creighton on Sunday, December the 3rd. But until, well, we'll probably be coming to you again after Duquesne. Um, going to, you know, we t- I touched on Duquesne a little bit. Um, Oregon State, they're, you know, they are what they are. They're projected to win 11 games again on Ken Palm. Um, I'm not. <laughs> if, I, if you're a Husker basketball fan, you're looking at this game tomorrow. I, 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 urge you, I urge you to not fret or stress about Oregon State. Duquesne, prepare yourself. <laughs> That'll be the first real test of the season. Well, 
We're at the 45-minute mark. I appreciate all of you for joining in, any of you who clicked on this link. If you feel so inclined, you can follow me on the app formerly known as Twitter, now with a big ugly X logo on it, at Jacob A. Bigelow. You can follow the podcast. We'll be posting the links to episodes, asking for questions for episodes. You can follow the podcast on that same app formerly known as Twitter, at Stretch Big Pod. We're going to try to expand the social media footprint a little bit as the season goes on. But we had to get the first one out of the way. Gigants, you know, every journey begins with one single step. And uh, they say most, you know, it's like 80, 90% of podcasts don't make it past the first episode. I can assure you, we will. We'll get past the first episode. Um, I will be coming back to you after the Duquesne game on Wednesday, unless there is some news or big thing that prompts me to hop on for an emergency pod. It will be on social media if that is ever so the case. So thank you all for tuning in. Um, Be sure to subscribe, tell a friend, uh, wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe to the show. Uh, Buckle up for the journey of another season of Nebraska basketball. Once again, thanks for tuning in to the Stretch Big. Tell someone you love them, and I will talk to you all next week.